0: Hi, this is Philip Holland, host of Hope for the Day. I'm so excited that you are listening and you have this to look forward to from today's message.
1: Vincent's letters, he indicates that at times he uses yellow, whether in sunflowers or wheat fields, as a symbol of God's love. We're gonna see that in a couple places here, but note, notice the phases of the sunflowers here. Some Some of these sunflowers are freshly blooming out of the bud. There are others that are well past their prime and losing their strength, but they're all yellow. Different hints, different hues, different tints, but uh, there is yellow in, uh, in each of them. Well, I, as, I, uh, as I am a older and perhaps grumpier old man, I appreciate the fact that there is yellow in all the seasons of life. Whether it's childhood, whether it's adolescence, whether it's young adulthood, middle adulthood, senior adulthood, There is yellow that represents God's love. It shows up in different ways, but it's there.
0: Welcome to Hope for the Day with Pastor Philip Holland. The Christmas story is one of the most well-known stories of the Bible. Even people outside of the Christian faith tend to have a general understanding of the Christmas story. But there are some lesser known characters in the story that you may not be as familiar with. In this series entitled Grumpy Old Men, we'll be examining several characters from the Christmas story who had to deal with rather unfortunate and challenging circumstances. As we'll see, these circumstances created a bit of grumpiness in their spirit. It is our hope that this series will provide greater insight into one of the most popular stories in the Bible. Please enjoy the message.
1: Well, good morning and it's good to be with you as we begin to uh, celebrate the Christmas season. And uh, a few weeks ago, Pastor Phil came to me and asked me if I would kick off the, uh, the new series that we're about to begin on some of the context and the backstory of, uh, of Christmas. And I said, I'd be delighted to. And then he told me what the series was, Grumpy Old Men. And I realized that uh, I'm now among that number. Uh, in fact... There it is on the marquee and the logo, Grumpy Old Men, Zachariah and Marshall Shelley. So uh, I think I'm in pretty good company, but uh, I didn't quite realize that I was going to be quite so conspicuous in my, uh, in my role here. So uh, welcome to uh, Grumpy Old Men and, uh, and the backstory to the uh, birth of Jesus. Uh, do any of you know this man? How many of you recognize this face? Quite a few of you. Who is it? Vincent van Gogh that's correct this is a a self-portrait he did a lot of self-portraits I think it's because during his lifetime he only sold one painting and he didn't have money to hire models so uh, he painted himself a lot this is one of them Um, but uh, when I was uh, you know when I was a dad in the uh, what I call the minivan years Um, We had, you know, three kids that were involved in this activity and that activity, school, sports, music. You know, it was go, go, go. And we were driving, of course, a minivan. And I thought about getting one of those personalized license plates that just said Van Go. Because we were going and going and going. I thought that would be about as good a dad joke as you could put on your license plate. But I was too cheap to do that, so we, uh, we didn't do that. But I didn't know too much about uh, Vincent until two months ago, uh, for my birthday, my wife Susan uh, took me down to the immersive Van Gogh exhibit downtown Denver, and it was an eye-opener. I mean, we saw some of Van Gogh's works that were put on walls. It's a big warehouse kind of facility, and and with mirrors strategically placed, and so you get all of the colors and the contours and the textures of Van Gogh's work, and then they somehow get them to move. And there's music, and you are just immersed in the in the genius of uh, Vincent Van Gogh. So that got me interested, and so I said, I got to know, no, go, know, I've got to know more about this guy. And uh, he's known for his art, but. Uh, I think most of us know, he also lived a pretty troubled life. Let me just uh, review some of that. He was raised in a strict pastor's home. I can identify. My my dad was a professor and a pastor and a preacher, and pretty strict. But uh, I think Van Gogh's dad took it several steps further than that. It was a rigid, Calvinistic home, which meant that it focused all about Christianity between the ears. Highly doctrinal, but not really experiential. They didn't focus on living it on the fruit of the Spirit. It was all the doctrines of the, the doctrines of the church. And Van Gogh, he didn't, he wasn't estranged from his parents because he didn't take the faith seriously enough. He wanted all of it. He wanted to experience faith, not just know the doctrines. And so, uh, there was tension between him and his dad. When he uh, was 22, 23 years old, he became a missionary. And uh, he didn't want some cushy missionary job. He wanted to go where it was challenging, so he went to Belgium. He he was raised in the Netherlands. He went to Belgium and uh, tried to minister to coal miners who didn't have much time for uh, Christianity. So he lived with them. He didn't uh, live in a cushy parsonage. He went and lived in a shack and uh, didn't bathe for weeks at a time. I mean, Vincent was a little unstable anyway, but he really dove in uh, with, with all that there was to him and uh, went there. But he was so unstable, so um, uh, unpredictable that his parents disowned him and even his mission society after a, a couple of years said no more. And so they stopped supporting him and Vincent's missionary um, task came to an end. Well, he, he eventually, after a couple of other Uh, false starts. Uh, Became became an artist. But uh, during this whole time he struggled with both physical and mental issues. He had periodic epileptic episodes. He also had mental health issues which at one point famously led him to cut off an ear. And uh, eventually caused him, uh, he he died of a self-inflicted gunshot wound. There was clearly struggles that he had both physically and and mentally. But Vincent's conflicted relationship with God is a good introduction, I think, to the recognition that sometimes people's grumpiness has uh, reasons that we barely, uh, barely understand. One of the pieces of art that I'd like to point out is is, uh, sunflowers. Now, it's dangerous to get into art interpretation, Art is art, after all, and everybody has their own interpretation, and everybody can write a book about it and give reasons for why they interpret it as they do. So today, you're going to be subjected to my interpretation of Vincent van Gogh's art, okay? It's just one, just one, person's, uh, one person's interpretation. But in some of Vincent's letters, he indicates that at times he uses yellow, whether in sunflowers or wheat fields, as a symbol of God's love. We're going to see that in a couple places here, but... Note, notice the phases of the sunflowers here. Some, some of these sunflowers are freshly blooming out of the bud. There are others that are well past their prime and losing their strength, but they're all yellow. Different hints, different hues, different tints, but uh, there is yellow in, uh, in each of them. Well, I, as, I, uh, as I am an older and perhaps grumpier old man, I appreciate the fact that there is yellow in all the seasons of life. Whether it's childhood, whether it's adolescence, whether it's young adulthood, middle adulthood, senior adulthood, there is yellow that represents God's love. It shows up in different ways, but it's there.
0: Thank you for tuning in to Hope for the Day. Our mission is to offer you hope through Christ-centered biblical preaching. We certainly hope that this broadcast is doing just that for you today. You might not know this, but each of these sermons are recorded live at Valley View Christian Church in the Denver metropolitan area. If you live in the city, we'd love to meet you in person. We offer Sunday services at 8 a.m., 9.30 a.m., and 11 a.m. We have programming for children of all ages, dynamic worship, plenty of opportunities to get connected beyond Sundays, outreach initiatives, and much, much more. Do you want to know why we do all that we do? Because so much of our church leadership has had their life changed at a local church. Because it's here that we met Jesus and he changed our lives. And we want Jesus to change your life as well.
1: put it this way you know you 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 will recognize the uh, misunderstood artist here but Vincent put it this way a great fire burns within me but no one stops to warm themselves at it I wonder if he was thinking about his missionary career at that point there's a fire within but people don't recognize the warmth all they they only see a wisp of smoke He also put it this way. He said, Be clearly aware of the stars and infinity on high. Then life seems almost enchanted after all. Well, if the yellow sometimes represented God's love, the deep blues of his other paintings at times represented infinity on high and the transcendent presence of God. We see this perhaps most clearly in perhaps his most famous painting, Starry Night. I'd like you to just look at that. Um, Let me, let me read what he wrote shortly, shortly before he painted this. He said, I absolutely want to paint a starry sky. It often seems to me that night is more richly colored than the day, having hues of the most intense violets, blues, and greens. If only you pay attention to it, you can see that certain stars are lemon yellow, others pink or a green, blue, and forget-me-not brilliance. It's obvious that putting little white dots on a blue-black background is not enough to paint a starry sky. That is not little white dots on a black background. That is uh, Vincent communicating the magnificence, the infinite of the night sky. And you'll notice just the proportion of the sky to the earth below. The sky dwarfs the, uh, the buildings below. I'd also like to point out the recurring theme of yellow. Where's the yellow? Well, the moon, the stars are yellow. What do you see down below? Where's yellow there? In the homes. Each each window is lit with yellow, except for one building in the very middle. What building is black? The church. I don't know what Vincent was saying about that but I'm just wondering if uh, this is a reflection of his abandonment as a seeker, as one who wanted to experience uh, the love of God and share it with others, and uh, it did not turn out well. He was able to experience the love of God elsewhere, especially the sky, but uh, sadly, not in that rigid church that, uh, in which he was raised. Well, With Vincent, there's clearly more going on than first meets the eye. Abandoned missionary, a troubled painter, a tormented soul. Yes, yes, and yes. But I think he's one who's looking for evidence of God all around him, even in the colors of stars and the love he's looking for in unexpected places. So in some ways, Vincent Van Gogh is uh, very much like the character in today's uh, scripture passage, Luke chapter 1. A man who saw and heard things that no one else saw and heard. A man who was misunderstood. And it's the first bizarre act in a strange, strange story that we call the nativity, the Christmas story. And it starts with a just plain weird episode that we're going to look at today. So let's read the Gospel of Luke chapter 1. And this is how how Luke opens the, uh, the Gospel story with verse 5, in the time of Herod king of Judea there was a priest named Zechariah who belonged to the priestly division of Abijah and his wife Elizabeth was also a descendant of Aaron that means both of them were raised in religious homes Uh, they were they were of the priestly tribe of Levi and so they were they were professional religionists if you will this was uh, this was their life But uh, they didn't just do it outwardly. The uh, the scriptures here say, both of them were righteous in the sight of God, observing all the Lord's commands and decrees blamelessly. But they were childless because Elizabeth was not able to conceive, and both were very old. Now, that term, very old, I'm thinking, from my position, is a very relative term. He was probably my age, very old. Um, But it's interesting that they were raised in a religious home and they were faithful, but being faithful did not prevent them from having a painful life. There was some serious disappointment that they, uh, they were experiencing. Next verse, once when Zechariah's division was on duty and he was serving as priest before God, now excuse me, just pause there a second. There were 18,000 priests in Israel at that time and they divided up temple duties, um, Every 20, there were 24 of these divisions and so they cycled through every, every week a different division would be in charge. And so uh, the chances of anybody getting to be priest in charge was slim. And so they had to draw straws, cast lots in order by chance to see who got to be on duty at uh, any given shift during, uh, during the week that their division was in charge. So he was chosen by Lot, according to the custom of the priesthood, to go into the temple of God and burn incense. When the time of the burning of incense came, all the assembled worshipers were praying outside. Well, let's take a look at that scene just to be able to visualize that. Here is the temple that was built by Herod. Uh, it was, it was Construction was completed about 10 years before Zechariah was there. So it's a fairly new temple that had been uh, renovated by Herod. And he did things in big ways. He was a king who had a big ego and grandiose building plans. And if you visit Israel today, you can still see Masada, for instance, is another uh, building project he, uh, that that he did. The temple was perhaps his most glorious. You'll see around the edge the portico, that column, that area covered with uh, the roof over the columns. That was uh, called Solomon's porch. That's where Jesus did a lot of his teaching. That's where he saw the widow drop two mites into the uh, into the offering baskets, like we have, uh, you know, the little black boxes around here and Jesus commented on that. That was in Solomon's portico. Then there was the court of the Gentiles that was just inside Solomon's portico, and then the holy place was this walled enclosure in the middle, and, um, and that was the, uh, and the, the taller portion there, the, uh, the, the, the taller portion just to the left of the, uh, the smoke going up from where the sacrifices were offered is the uh, holy
0: place. Thank you for tuning in to Hope for the Day. I hope that this message has been an encouragement to you. I know that it has been to others. You see, it is through the generous contributions of people like you that this ministry can thrive and get God's truth out into the world. I recently received a card from someone who said, thank you for these messages on Hope for the Day. They are encouraging and refreshing as we get the opportunity to hear biblically-centered teaching that continually points people to Christ. And that is just one of several notes that we have received of those who appreciate the teaching here at Hope for the Day
1: Now, next slide will take us inside the holy place. You'll see that um, the holy place is divided into two different uh, areas. Number one up there is the holy of holies. That's where the high priest, not just staff priests like uh, Zechariah, but only the high priest once a year on the day of atonement, Yom Kippur, the day of atonement, would the high priest go into the holy of holies. But uh, today's episode takes place in the holy place, which is, Uh, just below the dotted line which represents the veil of the temple which separated the holy place from the holy of holies so Zechariah is is in there and inside that holy place there are two pieces of furniture at least two pieces of furniture one was the nine candle candlestick called the menorah which our Jewish friends have just finished uh, celebrating Hanukkah and uh, that's where the, you know, according to legend, back in 166 BC, I think it's 166, somewhere in the middle of the, that century, uh, the, uh, the candles uh, miraculously continued to burn, even though there wasn't only consecrated oil enough for one day. So anyways, Zachariah was in that, uh, in that place. The other piece of furniture was the altar of incense. Now, picture a big, big uh, Weber grill around a round grill with uh, burning coals in there. And this is where worship took place when they took incense and put it in there and the, and the smoke of the incense would fill the area with fragrance and the smoke would rise, be em- emblematic of prayers ascending to the Most High. And so Zechariah got to burn the incense representing the prayers of the people on the nation's biggest stage. This was uh, like, well, what, yesterday, uh, Valor Christian got to play in one game, and Chatfield, two local high schools here, got to play in another game, at Empower Field at Mile High. The biggest stadium in the state. And uh, I'm, I'm, I identify with that because when I was a senior in high school, back in the day, there were, there were enough Denver schools to be able to compete with the suburban high schools, and they had a baseball game, the Denver All-Stars against the suburban All-Stars, and I got to be a Denver All-Star, awesome, and we played at Mile High Stadium, and I can tell you that walking onto that field, it's the same, I played baseball for years and years, and every game was exciting, but when you walk onto the biggest stage in the area, and you get to play on that field, I tell you, all your senses are just heightened. It's big time, it's showtime. And you bring your A-game or you go home. And uh, I'm thinking Zechariah was feeling something like that. Here he is being able to, he won the lottery, he got to burn the incense representing the prayers of the people on, at the temple that Herod had built. Big time, bring your A-game Zechariah. So he was there and uh, he was burning incense. Now this morning, we have already worshiped with our mouths and voices. We've already worshiped with our ears. You're worshiping with your eyes now as you contemplate the things of God. In, uh, in Jewish worship, they also worship with their noses. We don't worship with our noses so much. We use our taste buds when we take communion, but they worshiped with another sense, with their noses. And the smell of the incense was a worship experience because that smell of incense was the prayers of the people being lifted to God. Well, this is what's going on. Zechariah is in the middle of putting incense into that altar of incense, smelling and seeing the smoke as it, uh, as it rose. And while he's there, something strange happens. Verse 11. Then an angel of the Lord appeared to him standing at the right side of the altar of incense. When Zechariah saw him, he was startled and gripped with fear. But the angel said to him, don't be afraid, Zechariah, your prayer has been heard. Question, what prayer? He had just burned incense for thousands of prayers. Uh, his, His professional prayer, as a priest of Israel was to pray for the redemption of Israel. That was what he was there to do, Uh, that prayer. I'm sure he also had a personal prayer. I mean, it's very clear that he and his wife Elizabeth, probably for years, had had a very personal prayer that they would have a child. Uh, They didn't have social security in those days, they had kids. And uh, he was without his social security. Uh, who's going to take care of him when he was very, very, he was, he's very old now. Who's going to take care of him when he's very, very, very old? And I'm sure that had been a concern for, for him and for his wife. So anyway, it's, uh, I wonder if he was wondering what prayer the angel was referring to when he said, your prayer has been answered. Well, turns out, it was both of them. Your wife, Elizabeth, will bear you a son, and you are to call him John he will be a joy and a delight to you and many will rejoice because of his birth for he will be great in the sight of the Lord. He is never to take wine or other fermented drink. A lot of people in Israel took wine and fermented drink, that was normal. But occasionally uh, individuals were asked to take a a certain vow of becoming a total lifelong teetotaler and uh, John was one of them. He was like Samuel and Samson in the Old Testament who took a, who took a vow not to, uh, not to drink any form of alcohol. And he will be filled with the Holy Spirit even before he is born. Do you get the significance of that? Most of us, uh, our understanding is we receive the Holy Spirit.
0: Well, unfortunately, we have to bring today's message to a close. But my hope is that the word that was spoken was an encouragement to you. That's always our hope here at Hope for the Day. Did you know that these messages are recorded at Valley View Christian Church every Sunday?